morning. <clears throat> Hope you're doing well. I trust you're smiling back at me. Uh, hey, uh, a couple things. Uh, man, it's good to be back and to preach to people and not a camera. Um, we have really looked forward to this day, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, now, I haven't preached in front of people in like 15 weeks, and so here's the deal. We may start going a little quick, so just be ready for that. And the other part is just be gracious. As some of us get back up here, uh, we got to get back into the flow of things. So this morning, I want us to start out, uh, and I really want to bring our attention and focus to God's Word. We're going to jump into the Bible, and we're going to learn from God's Word this morning. But I'm going to ask you, and I know it's, uh, it's repetitive, but I think it's honoring. So would you stand with me? Uh, we are going to read Psalm 23 together uh, before we... Jump into it. The words will appear on the screen, and feel free to read out loud or just uh, meditate on the words. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word... We ask that you would teach us what you would have us to learn. Would you speak clearly to our minds and to our hearts? Would you help, help us be transformed by the hearing of your word this morning? God, we have longed to be together and we are grateful. We thank you for that gift of being in community with one another. And God, now as we open your word, we long to hear from you. And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Have you ever felt uh, alone, completely alone? During college, uh, part of my college time in college was spent in uh, East Tennessee. And so the drive from East Tennessee to my home in South Florida was about 18 hours. And we would, uh, I usually drive, make that drive with a roommate of mine who I grew up with. And we both were at uh, Johnson Bible College together. And so we would drive up and drive back together. Well, this one particular time, I had to drive, make the entire drive by myself, and I had nobody coming with me. Now, this is going to reveal a little bit more about me than I want you to know, uh, but I was not a smart kid, and so uh, I, made, I was determined. I'm going to make this drive all the way through, and what we'd done before is we drove through the night. No big deal. We can get there. We got this. So I leave at a reasonable time, and I'm driving, and everything feels good. Now, a couple things to note. I had no money but I thought I had enough to get gas to get home. Like, if I can just get home, then I'm good. And so I thought I have enough money to get enough gas to get home. Uh, second, uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. We had these things called pay phones. And you actually stopped, and they were like a phone. Like, literally, for some of you, like my kids, I don't know if they would know what it is. And you put quarter or 35 cents in so you can make a call. I didn't have 35 cents. So I'm driving, and it, it sinks in as I'm in southern Georgia. I've got enough gas to get across the Florida state line and that's it. And I'm out of money. And uh, I don't have a phone. And I don't know what to do. And, and panic began to sit in a little bit. And so I'm driving. I'm running out of uh, gas. And I decide, all right, I, I got to pull over before I completely run out of gas. 
and I go to a payphone, and I can't find 35 cents in my Jeep. Uh, I don't have 35 cents at all. And so I called collect. <laughs> and so I put the burden of paying for it on my family. My uncle, who raised me, uh, proceeds to tell me it's 1230 at night. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. I can't help you right now. By the time I were to get in the car and drive to you, it'll be 6.30 or 7 in the morning. And so hunker down. <laughs> yes, right? And so I didn't know what to do, and I decided to find a parking lot at a church. And so I went to a church parking lot, and I thought, these places are normally safe. This is good. And uh, I backed my Jeep up as close to the church building as I could get without it looking suspicious, and, which it looked suspicious anyway, I guess. And I climbed into the back, and I moved my stuff around just enough where I could lay down. And in that moment, I will never forget, I've never felt so utterly alone. I was in a town, I did not know where I was. I was a college-age kid. I was scared out of my mind. I had no money, no way to call anybody for help if I needed help. I'm just laying there, completely alone. Now, the next morning, a sweet older lady, who I'm sure I scared, uh, knocked on the window to wake me up, invited me into the church, made a phone call, got the uh, money wired to me via Western Union, just Google it, and uh, <laughs> there was no Venmo back then, and then uh, I was able to make my way home. Have you ever been there? you ever felt, like, alone? This is our first time back, and I know some of you are excited, even though you, know, you can't quite see the smiles. I can see in your eyes you're smiling, you're excited, you got up with a little pep in your step this morning because you knew you were getting back together with uh, some friends and even some family, and you're coming back to church, and we're going to be in the building, and I've heard it all morning long. We're so excited. We couldn't wait. We've been waiting for this day. It's great, but I'm guessing, I don't know all of your stories, but I'm guessing there are some of you, even in the midst of the greatness of a day like today, you're hurting, you're suffering. Maybe these last 14 or 15 weeks haven't been quite so easy on you. And even though you're excited to be back together, it's not, it's not as easy as it seems to be for other people. Maybe for you, these last few weeks financially have just been so difficult as you've tried to make the best decisions possible for your family. And you realize in the midst of that struggle and trying to make every dollar stretch, you just kind of feel alone. Does anybody else know how I'm feeling as you're making these decisions? You're just thinking, man, nobody knows what I'm feeling like right now. Or maybe for you, you're a single parent or a young parent, and you're trying to think, I need to make the best decisions for my family. I don't know what to do. One person says this, another person says this. I'm confused. What's the best decision for me to make in the midst of all of this? Some of our people here at New Hope have lost loved ones unexpectedly during this season, and they're trying to piece things together and make sense of it because they're just missing someone so deeply, but they can't be around other people. And so it's just this extreme, very unique sense of pain and in the midst of all of it, we can sit back and we can say, I just feel alone. I don't feel like anybody can quite understand what I'm feeling or what I'm going through right now. Have you ever felt alone? Helpless. You don't know what the next move is. You don't know what the next step is. Now, there's some that things are going good. The job is good. Money seems fine. You've been able to quarantine with your closest friends and their friends and their friends because we were together already, like everybody was with their friends. And, and so it's just been fine for you. And you've weathered the season just good, but you get through all of it and you still kind of feel like I'm not really connecting with people. Maybe for you, you were quarantined with your spouse and you thought this is going to be great, but you've never felt more distant. Never felt more worried about the relationship. You ever felt completely and totally alone? Now, I don't need to know your church background to guess that many of us uh, have heard the psalm that we read this morning. You've heard Psalm 23. It's one of the most celebrated pieces of literature in the world. I've heard it read at uh, weddings to celebrate the goodness of God. I've heard it read at funerals to uh, minister to grieving family members. 
Lots of young people memorize it. Lots of older people meditate on it. It's one of the most celebrated pieces of literature. It's widely read, easy to recognize. And as you're preaching through it, it's kind of like, okay, I'm preaching Psalm 23. This is going to be good. And so the temptation a lot of the times when you're preaching a text like this is to bring attention to the sheep because the Bible talks a lot about sheep and how they're the dumbest animals in the entire world, right? Sheep are just, they're not smart animals. And you know this, right? And so maybe you've heard stories like, in, in Turkey in 2005, a group of 1,500 sheep walked right off the side of a cliff right in front of their shepherds. They just walked right off. 400 of them died. 1,100 of them lived because of the pillow that was created by the four. The true story of the 400 that went first created a pillow, and 1,100 of them lived. Or maybe you saw this. Uh, during, during the lockdown in Turkey, uh, some sheep got tired of being quarantined, and so they just took over the streets of a city in Turkey. This is a real video here. Just, we're tired of this quarantine thing. We are getting out. And so they just, right? Look, it's, it's easy to want to talk about sheep. You see the shepherds too. Come on, it's middle of the night. Get back home. It's easy to want to talk about sheep. But when you study Psalm 23, you quickly begin to realize the attention is not on the sheep. The focus of the text is on the shepherd. Think about this. Think about all the different ways that the Bible describes God. Genesis chapter 1, God is the creator. When God speaks, things happen. And God said, let there be light. There's light. When God said, let there be land, there's land. Let there be a dog, there's a dog. Let there be a cat. Can I have a take back, right? When God speaks, things happen. God is creator. Man, that's a great way to describe God. The Bible describes Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I love that descriptor of the the power and the majesty of that description of the God that we serve. Jesus is king of kings. And if you've been around here long, you know where my mind goes. It goes to gladiator or to braveheart. And you're just thinking, man, this this powerful image of God. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. This is incredible. The Bible describes Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, another one that just draws you in. He's the beginning and the end. He was there when it was created. He'll be there when everything comes uh, to a conclusion. He is the beginning, the end, the Alpha and the Omega. But God is a shepherd? A shepherd. When you study your Bible, you study Bible times, you know shepherds, they weren't viewed really great. They were pretty common. You scan your gaze over the landscape it's about as common as a Starbucks or a supermarket in America. You are going to see a herd of sheep and, or a flock of sheep, and you're going to see their shepherd as well. They were hard workers. They were the bottom of the social ladder. They weren't viewed very well. They didn't make a lot of money. And in the midst of it all, the one thing you could be sure of is they would do just about anything for their sheep. They were always going to be there for their sheep. They led them. They corrected them. They disciplined them. And above all else... They loved them. In the Bible, it's clear. The relationship, the most vivid analogy for spiritual leadership between Jesus and his church, or between uh, God and his people, or even between the leaders of the church and the people of the church, over 500 times your Bible in your Old Testament and New Testament will reference the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. 500 times. It's a very clear indication And I don't know of any character in the Bible that would have understood this analogy better than King David, the one who wrote Psalm 23. You read your Old Testament, you get to hear quite a bit about King David. He had had some of the highest success of anybody in all of history. He had successes that many of us don't even dream about because we don't dream that big. And he had some of the lowest lows, walked through some of the darkest, loneliest valleys. And in the middle of it all, he proclaims in Psalm 23, the Lord, he's my shepherd. 
I mean, just consider this guy's life. I mean, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we learned that he too was a shepherd for his father's home, the same father that had forgotten him. I mean, from the very beginning, we hear this guy's had highs and he's had lows. He takes care of the sheep when we learn that he killed a bear and a lion. Don't let that be lost on you. We don't do initiations in demanded. Uh, but, you know, I'm thinking after he did that, he's good to go. Yeah, you kill a bear and you kill a lion, like, you're good. You're doing all right for yourself. This is the same home, though, where his father, when asked about his sons, didn't even mention them until he was asked about them. He goes on, and he kills Goliath. Very man wreaking havoc on all the other men uh, in Israel, and he steps up and he fights Goliath. We studied that just a few weeks back. If you weren't here, I highly recommend you listen to the sermon. It wasn't me preaching. <laughs> he goes on from there, and uh, you begin to see he's named king of Israel. And then the story shifts just a touch. His friend Jonathan, his closest friend, his best friend. Jonathan's dad was the sitting king in Israel, Saul, and Saul did not take a good liking to the fact that David was now named king, and so he begins to hunt him down. And I don't know about you, but my best friends growing up, they had good dads, and not one of them ever wanted to assassinate me. So I was never on the run from my best friend's dad growing up, but David was. And as he's on the run, he's hiding out in caves, and he's doing everything he possibly can uh, to avoid getting caught. And I got to believe that or running through those caves, hiding in the dark, avoiding being assassinated by the people who you thought loved you. He had to have moments, like sitting in the back of a Jeep in a town you've never been to, where he just thought, does anybody understand what I'm going through? I'm completely alone. Now, his loneliness wasn't always based on the circumstances he was walking through. It was also based on some of his poor decision-making. You begin to see that, right? First Samuel, or Second Samuel, as he begins to uh, lead Israel. What does it say? It says, in the time the kings go off to war, David sent Joab. And David stayed alone. And in his loneliness, tried to create his own path. And in creating his own path, he fell victim to lust. And in lusting, he had an affair. And after having the affair, he thought, I need to cover up this affair. And so he had one of his friends killed just to cover up his own sin. And the loneliness. I've made so many bad decisions. No one could possibly understand what I've gone through. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt alone? And he goes through the loss of a child. Loses a child. And then on top of it all, another one of his children tried to remove him from office, if you will, tried to remove him from his throne and abandon him altogether as well. The highest highs. Success that we wouldn't even dream of and the lowest lows. And in the midst of it all, he says, the Lord, he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. See, a lot of times we read the Bible, maybe you do this too, where you read it and you think, I don't really relate to the Bible. I can't really see how this relates to my life. It doesn't feel relevant. But when you read through a story like David's, where you're like in the midst of your biggest successes, where really nobody can relate to the success that you've experienced. So you kind of feel alone because there's nobody to share it with. There's nobody to enjoy it with. And then in the midst of your lowest lows, where either circumstances done to you or poor decisions made by you, you feel completely alone. Like nobody has been where I'm at right now. I can't relate to it. King David's story reminds us what the Bible continually tells each one of us. In the midst of your highest highs and your lowest lows, the Lord... He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to walk right beside you through all of it. See, the series we're in, Jesus on every page, we're looking at Old Testament passages and trying to help everybody understand the, the big story. And the big story is this, that every page of Scripture points to Jesus. But it's not always easy to see that. And Psalm 23 is similar to that. Psalm 23 is not what we would call a messianic text, meaning it's not specifically talking about Jesus, but placed in the context of the bigger story, it's easy to see Jesus 
on this page of Scripture. Fast forward to your New Testament. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Jesus begins to speak about himself. And he begins to talk about himself in relationship to the people that are following him. And he uses this analogy, this analogy of a sheep and a shepherd. Look at what he says of himself, verses 2 through 4. He says this, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. They hear the voice of their shepherd. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know, they know his voice. So he says there's this intimate connection, intimate relationship, not religion. It's not a you do this and you do that and you do this. It's an intimate relationship to the point that they recognize his voice. And if you've studied the background of this, a sheep, sheep can hear the voice of their shepherd and distinguish it between other voices. They know clearly who's leading them. Jesus, down in verse 11, clarifies all of it for us when he says this, I am, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I am the shepherd. You are the sheep. I want the connection with you. I want you to recognize my voice. I want to lead you through your life. Now, the question is, we've established this. The Bible very clearly says that God is a shepherd. His people are the sheep. The New Testament makes the connection very clear for us. Jesus is the good shepherd, and we, his people, those of us who are in Christ, who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, are are the sheep. And we have this relationship with our shepherd. We are to recognize his voice. But the question now becomes, where is he leading us? Because here's the thing you need to know about your life, and I need to continually remind myself about my life, is this. You have a lot of different shepherds vying for your allegiance every single day. You have a culture telling you to be your own shepherd, to to find your own path, to, to discover your own truth. And so in the midst of your lowest lows and your highest highs, you're taught to rely completely on yourself as your own shepherd. And if you don't rely on yourself, there's a plethora of other shepherds who are just enticing you to come down their path and just follow me. And so it's clear to understand two things. One, who is your shepherd? And two, where is he leading? And for that, we go back to Psalm 23. So flip back in your Bible to Psalm chapter 23, and we're going to use it as as a guide to explain to us where Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading us down the path of our lives. The first thing we learn is this. The good shepherd leads us to a place of rest. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, the good shepherd, restores my soul. See, oftentimes, oftentimes, for us, when we feel most alone, it's when we're exhausted. It's when we're tired. It's when we've had enough. It's when we're at the end of our rope. It's when we've been, uh, we've been burning the candle on both ends. It's when we, we just can't go any further. We can't see the next thing because we haven't rested. It's no coincidence that God worked Sabbath into the rhythm of his followers. He created us with a need for rest. And I don't know about you, but these last 14, 15 weeks, one of the continual patterns that I'm hearing in my conversations with people are, I'm so tired. So many people have told me, well, a lot of people thought they were going to get to stay home and have some sort of a rest, but not us. Our company ramped up production, and I had to work more hours than I've ever worked, and I'm going here and I'm going there. And the question becomes, well, where are you turning to get your rest what do you rely on for your rest? I was texting a, a local preacher in, in our area, a friend, and we were texting back and forth just last night. And he said, everybody that I've talked to, everybody I've talked to, and all of the people, all my circles, everybody has this resounding, continual pattern. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Where do you turn in those moments? 
When you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you can't go any further, do you turn to yourself? Are you your own shepherd in that moment? Because when that happens, we tend to get frustrated and irritated. Why? Because we feel alone. Nobody understands how hard I've been working. But you're about to because of what I'm about to say to you. Do you turn to your pride and begin to tell everybody else around you, you don't even want to know how hard I've been working. You think you've been working hours. I've been working way more hours than you, and I have the worst schedule ever, and everything's the worst for me. Because in just a quick moment, like a drug, you can feel just a little bit better because you've been working harder than they have. Who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? Do you turn to alcohol or another substance to just be able to calm you down just enough to get some rest? Who's your shepherd? Because the good shepherd has given us a very clear indication that in the moments of exhaustion when we need to rest, look at the words of our good shepherd in Matthew chapter 11. This is from the message. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Having to do more, do more, do more? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who's your shepherd? Where's he leading you? The second good shepherd leads us through valleys, not around them, not over them, but through them. He leads us through valleys. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff are not always comforting things. Valleys are not comfortable places. Oftentimes, a shepherd needs to lead us through the valley because we're unwilling to walk through it ourselves. And anybody who's lived longer than 10 minutes can tell you that life is not easy. We all walk through valleys. We all walk through difficulty. We will all experience pain. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have trouble. And he told the analogy at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 7, he said, when the storms come, not if they come, we all can agree. And one of the things we can agree, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, a follower of Jesus, or you're far from God, you can all agree on this one. We live in a pretty broken world. A lot of valleys. And many of us have walked through a valley. So for some of you, it's not that you've had too much work, it's that you've been out of work. It's not that you've been overworked, it's that you're looking for work. You, you, you need a, in this valley, I don't know what the next step is, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family, I don't know what's next. For others during this season, they've actually, and in our church family, they've actually lost loved ones very unexpectedly just this past week. Trying to piece things together, trying to make sense of it, what is next? I can't, they were here yesterday and they're not here today, how am I supposed to get through this? Does anybody understand what I'm experiencing in this life? This hurts. And I don't think anybody knows how bad this hurts. This is uncertain. This is difficult. You've been there. And here's the thing. A valley can be the most dangerous place if you're being led by the wrong shepherd. It's Satan's playground. See, in our times of distress and difficulty, if we're not being protected by the good shepherd, we are susceptible to the enemy who will make us think we can work our way out of it when we can't. He'll make us think we can just overcome it. He'll make us think that we can, we can right the wrongs, and oftentimes we can't. We need the shepherd. So the question is, who's your shepherd? Through the valleys, the darkness, when you feel completely and totally alone, who is your shepherd? 
The last thing we learn is this. The good shepherd leads us through, to a certain future hope. He says, you prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just last night, my son had, uh, he had been hanging out with a friend, and uh, they brought him home, and uh, the dad and I were standing in the driveway talking, and, and he had a line, he said, in the midst of our conversation. He says, one of the things that stood out to me in the midst of all of this is there's just no hope. People are losing hope. The longer this goes on, the more hope is stripped away from us. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we do not live in a culture that is a great dealer of hope. I had a friend watch the news, and not for any political things, but he just watched different news segments. And he said, they're all the same. Bad, 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 see you tomorrow. Bad, 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 see you tomorrow. And we watch this, and we take in all of this bad news, and it's really easy to lose hope. I mean, it's really easy for us to say, I don't know what the future holds. This is unbelievable. What, what's next? What could possibly come next? And if you're not careful... You begin to lose that hope. You begin to lose sight of that place where Jesus said, I go before you to prepare a place for you. Revelation chapter 21 said, there's coming a day when he will wipe every tear from your eyes. That's hope. That no matter what we experience in this life, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart. Don't worry, have hope. I've already overcome it all. But if you're not being led by that shepherd securing your future, giving you the hope that you know what's coming next no matter what you walk through, that your hope is not circumstantial or situational, your hope is secure. And you're susceptible to the enemy. And the future is a very lonely place if the shepherd that's leading you is not in control of it. And there's only one shepherd who's in control of the future. See the one that's leading you. So you might feel, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if I deserve it. I just kind of feel like I'm forgotten. I feel alone. And maybe, maybe you've been there. And I'll ask you again, have you ever felt alone? 500 different times the Bible tries to remind you, you are not alone. You have a shepherd. I like the way Charles Spurgeon said it. He said these words. He said, Jesus, the good shepherd, will not travel at such a rate as to override the lambs. He has tender consideration for the poor and the needy, whether poor physically or poor spiritually or emotionally. Kings usually look at the interests of the great and the rich, but in the kingdom of our great shepherd, our good shepherd, he cares most for the poor, those who are suffering. The weaklings and the sickly of the flock are the special objects of the Savior's care. You think, dear heart, that you are forgotten because you have your nothingness and weakness and poverty, but this is the very reason that you are remembered. You have a good shepherd. Let me close this way. John Weiss is a preacher in Lexington, Kentucky. He tells a story of his childhood that is burned into his memory for the rest of his life. He got with a group of friends, and they were around 12 years old, so quite a while back, and they were shooting off fireworks, thinking nothing could go wrong. Something always goes wrong. And they fired off some fireworks, and it hit a blanket that was folded in front of a carport. The blanket struck fire, burned up the side of the carport. Now, it didn't do detrimental damage. Nobody was hurt, and uh, they were able to repair it, but the kids were in trouble. And so the parents were informed of what it was going to cost. Uh, back in that day, you just called up your neighbor, told him what happened. And, and so he's walking home, and he said he sees his dad. Now, my father-in-law uh, knew uh, John Weiss's dad, Roy Weiss. He's a big man, uh, big hands, and a really deep voice. And he says, I see my dad at the edge of the driveway, and I think, well, that's it. I get to meet Jesus tonight. Uh, so he's walking. My future is secure. I'm going to see the Lord. <laughs> and he walks up to his dad, and his dad in the deep voice says, you owe the neighbor $40. 
okay, <laughs> walks past his dad and begins to think to himself, I got this little lawn mowing business and I, I make about six, six or $7 a yard, so it's gonna take me about seven yards and I can, I'll have about $42. So $6 a yard, seven yards, I think I can do this. I'm gonna have $42, I can repay it, that's great. So his dad, he and his dad, they go and they collect all the lawn equipment to do the yard and his dad brings with him a lawn chair and he's thinking to himself, my dad's gonna sit here and watch me mow this yard, I better do a good job. His dad sets up the lawn chair and he tells John, take a seat. And John's like, what? Take a seat. He says, no, no, no. And then in a firm voice, because sometimes shepherds need to be firm, he said, sit down. So he did. And his dad got the lawnmower and he mowed the yard. And he trimmed it. And he blew everything off. And he thought, maybe this is it. He said, no. They go on to the next yard. He makes John sit and watch. And the next yard, sit and watch. And the next yard, sit and watch. All seven yards, sit and watch. And that's what he did. He sat and he watched. His dad collected the $42, walked over to John, gave him the $42 and said, hey, with the $40, go repay the neighbor and with the other $2, if you want to go get ice cream, go get ice cream. You want to go to the arcade, go to the arcade. Enjoy it. And he said, man, I just struggled with that. I couldn't take it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he goes in the house and he goes into his room sulking and his dad knew. Again, his dad's a really big man. And anyone that had met his dad, his dad has passed on since, but anyone that had met him will tell you he's one of the most gentle parts. So he walks in and he sits next to his son. And John said, at this moment, this is what was burned into his memory forever. His dad put his big arms around him. John began to cry. And he said, John, one lesson I want you to learn is that you owe a debt to God that you could never repay. But Jesus took care of it for you. He didn't take care of it for you just for later on. He took care of it for you so you can live your life right now. Live your life right now. And he said, in that moment, I had a vivid picture of why Jesus came. I hear a story like that, and I think to myself, that's it, the good shepherd who has done for us what we couldn't have done. He's gone ahead of us and taken care of things that we couldn't take care of on our own. And he has said, just follow me and follow me now in this life right now. I want you to have a good life. Have you ever felt alone? Like no one could understand what you're walking through. Maybe something that was done to you or, or something that you've done with poor choices or maybe even in the middle of your greatest successes just felt alone. And the Bible says you have a shepherd and he's inviting you down a path. He's welcoming you to come with him. The question is, who's your shepherd? Homework, I know. No homework. I know yet. Homework. This week, Every morning when you wake up, start your day with Psalm 23. See if it doesn't make a difference in your day. You wake up and it's, no matter what I'm about to face today, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will lead me to a place of rest. And if I walk through a valley, he's going to walk through it with me today. And no matter what I go through, my future's secure. Who's your shepherd? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth that we will not experience anything in this life, success, failure, heartache, tragedy, alone. But God, we have an enemy who makes it easy for us to understand that in our head but not feel it in our heart. Would you remind us that you are the good shepherd? Remind us, Father, that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves so that we could enjoy a relationship with you right here and right now. God, we love you. 
that sometimes it's hard to let you love us back. Through the work of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word in our lives, would you help us overcome that, to feel loved, to feel wrapped in your arms of grace and peace. We love you, God, and we give our thanks for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.